0: Welcome to everyone, especially the visitors today. I hope that you find, I've been going here a little over a year, hope that you find what I find, which is a, a church that's led by the Holy Spirit and, and looks for the face of God every time we join together. And so that's, uh, it hit me in the face when I walked in the first time and I, I, I can't leave. So um, I talked to Dennis, we were going on vacation for a couple of weeks and, and Dennis said, well, we sure missed you. And I said, he said, I'm glad you didn't go anywhere else. And, and I said, well, to quote the disciples, where would I go? I mean, where else, where else can I find this? So I um, appreciate the opportunity to share what's been on my heart, and, uh, and I just appreciate, appreciate this church. So um, if you want to, take out your Bibles and turn to John 4, um, and we'll, we'll get started here. So, John 4, 34 through 38 is where we'll start. And what it says is, uh, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish the work. Do you not say, There are, four, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. That for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We come to you today, Lord, and we come to you as, as broken individuals, Lord. And we've all got a story as we walked into the door. And, and Lord, maybe this week was a great week for us, maybe this week was a bad week for us. And, and I ask that you, you just clear our minds and, and open our hearts to you. Um, let me uh, be tuned into you and, and only say the words that you want me to say, Lord. And, and let let my words be multiplied through your your grace and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So show of hands, who here raises a garden? Anybody raise a garden? A couple. Raise them high. Be proud of it. Okay, we got a few. So just shout out. What's your favorite thing that you raise out of your garden? Tomatoes. What I hear? Corn. What else? Don't be shy. It's audience participation. Watermelons. Cucumbers. Okay, so my wife raises a garden, and I say that. I didn't raise my hands because I don't raise a garden. My wife raises a garden, but some of the things that she grows, I love tomatoes, I love the cucumbers, I love jalapeno peppers, mostly because those tomatoes and jalapeno peppers turn into salsa and the cucumbers turn into pickles. She also raises tomatillos so we can have some green salsa, which is excellent. And so I've got it pretty good, actually, because I get to take part in the harvest and I get to do very little work on the planting. And so it's, uh, it's a pretty good deal. So for those of you who, who raise a garden, let me ask you a question. Would you still raise a garden if you could get none of the produce that comes out of it? I'm looking around. I think I see a lot of no's, right? And so the reason we go through all the the tilling and the weeding and the planting and all that is because of the promise of what's to come, right? And so we would not ever spend all that time tilling our gardens and getting everything ready and fertilizing and watering and caring for it if as soon as the first tomato turned ripe, we had to throw it away, right? We might do it if we got to give it away, but if we'd never got to, to even enjoy it or see someone else enjoy the harvest, we probably wouldn't plant it. And so it's kind of interesting to me that sometimes the way the kingdom of God works is a lot of times we have to sow in water and we don't ever get to see the harvest. A lot of times we do. I mean, there's, there's been lots of times when someone's come forward to even these altars here and we get to see them accept Christ and we get to see that harvest. But sometimes when we're doing Christ's work, some of the hardest things we have to do is sowing is and watering, and we don't always get to see the fruit. So the, the title of my message today is called Joy in the Sowing, and the reason I called it that is because, honestly, God calls us to do a lot of sowing in our lives, and it's not always fun, and we don't always get to see the benefit of the fruit, but what I want us to realize today is that there should be joy in the sowing. And I want to go back to our opening verse for a minute. So if you're still there in John 4, and so every, I don't know if it works this way for you guys, but every time I read the Bible, I get something new. God would just reveal something new to me. And I'm going to kind of reveal what he he said to me in here, and maybe you guys have already figured this out. And if so, just indulge me and say, wow, that was a really good insight. I never would have thought of that. Um, So... Let me set this up a little bit. Where this verse comes from, this is right after Jesus had talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he talked to her and, and told her his whole, his, her whole life story, right? And, and he was really witnessing to her and, and talking about, um, you know, where, uh, you know, she was talking about, well, you know, we, we've got a problem because some people say worship in Jerusalem. We used to worship on this mountain. Where should we worship? And this is where uh, Jesus uttered the phrase, you should worship uh, God in spirit and in truth, right? Wherever you are, you should worship God in spirit and in truth. And they say, we believe the Messiah is coming. And he said, the Messiah is before you, right? And so he's really revealing himself to her. And so um, about right before this verse happens, the disciples come back and, uh, and I'll read a little bit here. This is, I, I don't have this, but I just want to read this to you. Um, so on verse 27, it says, the disciples came back. They marveled. He was talking to a woman. Not only was he talking to a woman, but he was talking to a Samaritan. Uh, but no one said, who do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. So there's the setup right before right before the verse I read you, and so, the, you know, and if you've Follow the disciples, they were always thinking about food. Every time they were around, they were thinking about food. We fed the 5,000. What are we going to eat? You know, Every time they're talking about food. So as soon as they come up, they're like, so what's for dinner? right, Rabbi, why don't you eat something? Because we're hungry too. We're not going to eat without you. And he says, um, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, when then comes the harvest? Then I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So I've read that hundreds of times. And I always thought he was speaking, he was trying to teach them a lesson saying, hey, you know what? It's kind of like the the verse where it said, you know, the the harvest is plenty and the the workers are few. He was just trying to teach them a generic lesson. But as I read it studying for this message, what I realized what he's saying is, I just sent this woman back to a town and told her I'm the Christ. And she's coming back with a bunch of people. And we're going to go reap right now. It's not about, it's not some generic, we're going to go reap someday. It's about, I know there's people coming back right now. And you haven't sown in any of their lives. The Samaritan woman did. Because it says right here in, in verse 28 and 29, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Right, And so she went into the town and said, I think I know who the Christ is, and I just met him, and you guys should come too. And so if we read through the rest of it, he said, for here the the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for for, uh, that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So if we read on in in that same chapter, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony. Right? And so the disciples did zero sowing in that. Right? What happened was Jesus sewed into the woman's heart, and the woman went and sowed into that, into that town. And because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And what struck me this time was this is the blueprint for us. This is the blueprint for how we witness to people because, let's just be honest, it's difficult, right? We're afraid to, to go out, you know, it's pretty easy to talk about God inside these four walls. But when we're at Walmart or when we're at work or when we're at school, sometimes it's difficult. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being laughed at. But he just gave us the blueprint because what happened here? Jesus spoke into this woman's life. She believed. She became a Jesus follower at that moment. And her first response to that is, I've got to go tell everyone I know. I've got this burning passion inside me and I've got to go sow into other people. And... It's interesting here the chain of events because this is really how it works. We don't bring anyone to to salvation. All we can do is bring them to Jesus, and Jesus takes care of the rest. And that's exactly what happened in these verses. The Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. Right. So when we witness to people and we say, you know, I just want to tell you something. Jesus done this amazing thing in my life. It's just like the Samaritan woman. You know, all she did is he told me everything. He knew everything about me and he told me. It wasn't anything special. She didn't, you know, talk about any miracles. She didn't talk about any amazing things that he'd done. She didn't quote any verses out of scripture. She just said, here's what God did for me. And quite frankly, that's all we're called to do too, right? You know, the Bible doesn't call us to be judges, right? It calls us to be witnesses. And what do witnesses do, right? Witnesses come into a courtroom and they stand up and they say, you're wrong and you're right. No. Witnesses come in and say, let me tell you what I saw. And so when we're going to witness about Jesus Christ, that's all we're called to do. Let me tell you what Jesus looks like to me. And then Jesus takes care of the rest. You know, he, because of the woman's witnessing, because of the woman's testimony, they said, Jesus, stay with me. Right, And so when we lead people to Christ, when we say, here, let me introduce you to this, this man called Jesus Christ, and, and he's really changed my life, chances are they're going to say, Jesus, stay with me. And then Jesus takes care of the rest because it is no longer because of what the woman said that we believe, but we believe because we've heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed, the Savior of the world. So let's look at what sowing looked like in this story. Jesus sowed into the woman, the woman sowed into the rest of, the, of, of the, that group there, the rest of that village. Do you think it stopped there? Do you think? I mean, we don't hear it. If you, if you read on in the Bible verse there, it doesn't really say they went back and, and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, but I, I bet that happened, right? I bet those people who came to Jesus that day and came to the realization that he was the Christ, I bet they couldn't contain it either. I bet they went and told more people and they told more people and it expanded, And what's interesting about this is it doesn't mention the disciples anymore after they said, what's for dinner, right? But you know they didn't leave. And how blessed they must have been because what they've got to witness, there was a very short growing season. They got to see Jesus talk to a woman at a well. She run off to a town. That town come back and two days later, the entire town was saved. How amazing would that be if if? One person walked out of this church today and ran into the middle of Willow Springs and said, you're not going to believe what I heard? Jesus Christ is Lord. And everyone went, we've got to go hear this too. And they all came here and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. How amazing would that be? Unfortunately, most of the time, we don't get to see that short growing season. Most of the time, there's people like me out there that are kind of stubborn. And maybe Dirk, because he's laughing. <laughs> and and so you know when we hear the word, even if we even, even if we go testify to someone and say you're not going to believe what God did for me, and even if it is a modern day miracle, people probably aren't going to go oh well great, I want to be a Christian now right? And so uh, Jesus talked about this when he talked about the parable of the sower, and I'm going to give a little different spin on the parable of the sower too. So. If you guys remember the parable of the sower, and by the way, it can be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so it's it's pretty easy to find in the Bible. But um, he talked about the the parable of the sower, and he talked about the different soil conditions and how the seeds grew, right? And so he talked about the sower spread the seeds on the path, and the bird the the ground was too hard, and the birds came and ate it. And then he the sower planted on the rocky soil, and so it it the the seeds germinated, but it was rocky and the soil wasn't very good, so there was no roots. And, and so the, the plants came up, but then they didn't have deep enough roots and they died. And then he talks about, um, he planted it among the thorns and, and it grew up, but there was too many thorns. And, and so it was taking all the water and all the sun. And so it got choked out. And then the last example was, he planted it in rich and fertile soil and he grew. And, and, you know, and it grew. And what, what I think most of the time, what I've got out of that parable is, we need to be rich in fertile soil, right? And, and, and so the seed's not gonna sprout unless we are rich in fertile soil. And it talks about how we cultivate the soil and, and how you know the soil of our own soul we should cultivate. But what I want to point out in this is the sower did not just sow in the fertile soil. In this parable, it specifically says the sower sowed in all conditions. And it sowed, you know, he knew that if he sowed uh, seed on this path that the birds were going to come and eat it. And he sowed anyway. And he, he knew if he sowed in the rocky soil that it wasn't probably going to survive, but he sowed anyway. And he also knew that if he sowed among all the weeds and the thorns, it, it probably wasn't going to work out very well, but he sowed anyway. And see, I think that's why we sometimes get discouraged is because maybe we look at someone and when we see them and we think they're rocky soil. Or maybe we look at someone and we think maybe their lives are too thorny to be sewed into. Or maybe we're looking at them and we're like, well, they've got a hard heart. That'll never take. I want to talk about how this whole sewing thing works a little bit. And so the interesting thing about the way Jesus set this up is things work in the spiritual world very similarly to the way they work in the natural world. So if we think about sewing. In the natural world, right, the first thing we do when we plant a garden is we prepare the soil, right? And so when, we are, uh, when we're trying to plant that garden, we want to make sure that our soil is loose and that, you know, we've got, we've got good dirt. You know, it's not the rocky, it's not the thorny, all the weeds are gone, everything's clear. And the interesting thing about the spiritual world is we've got very little to do with pre- preparing the soil. There's very little things we can do with preparing the soil except for our own soil. I can't, I can't go out to Dennis or I can't go out into my wife and say, you know, your soil should be better. Let me help you with that. It doesn't work that way. I will tell you a little secret though. One of the ways that we prepare soil on Sundays is with what we just did, this music right? Because chances are you came in and, and Olive gave a, a great example, and I'll never do it as good as her, so I'm not even going to try. But she gave a great example of, you know, you're yelling at the kids in the morning and you're trying to get them to church and you're trying to get everything to, everybody to church on time and you're tense and, and you're yelling at the kids the whole way there, eat your Pop-Tart on the way here, it's okay, stop messing with your dress. And then you walk in and you try to put on a good face and you're smiling at everybody and in the, in, you know your heart, your blood pressure is way high and you're just not in the mood for worship. And then you get in here and you hear some songs and you clap your hands and you praise God and you you get to say over and over, oh, how I love Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything that happened that week is gone. And, you know, quite frankly, if I'd have stood up here as soon as you ran in the door and you were still frustrated, the soil wasn't ready, right? And so that's why we do the things we do up here. And so preparing the soil, you know, as a Christian, as we're witnessing to something, there's very little we can do with, about preparing the soil, and quite frankly, there's very little we should worry about because that's God's job. God's job is to work on, on our hearts and the, the hearts of the people we know and prepare it for the word. Our job is to sow and to witness despite what the soil looks like. So after we pre- prepare the soil, what do we do? We sow. And so we do play a major part part in sowing. And and so what are the seeds we sow? And I want to give you a little example. So the Indians used to plant um, three seeds together and they called them the three sisters. And they used to plant corn, beans, and squash. They always planted them together. And there was a, there was a reason for that. So the corns, the corn would grow up and that would give the beans something to spiral up and hang on. And then the squash would be there and they would keep the roots of the, of the corn and the beans protected. So they all work together. And you know, that's, that was the secret, right? You don't have to go out and put wire up for the beans to grow on. You don't have to put wire up to support the corn. You don't have to put down mulch to keep everything, you know, good. They you just plant the three seeds and it takes care of itself. Well, I think there's three seeds that we need to plant. I think the first is the word of God, the second is the love of God, and the third is our experience with God. And so and, and just like the three sisters, they all work together because quite frankly, the word of God without the love of God makes you a hypocrite, right? So if you come and, and beat a Bible and tell someone they've got to be better, they're a, they're a sinner, they're gonna to go to hell and you don't have the love of God in your heart, you're gonna be written off. If you've got the love of God and don't have the word of God behind you, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't hold water. And, and what makes it all work together is we you can say, you know what? The Bible says this, and, and I love you, and let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Because then it makes it personal, right? Then, it, then you can say, you know what? This is how I used to be, and this is how I am now. And the only explanation I've got is because I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. And so there's a saying that says, it takes about five times of hearing, hearing the gospel before you accept Jesus Christ. And I heard a, uh, I remember a song once and I, I couldn't find it. I couldn't, I couldn't find the lyrics. So maybe I should just write the song and take credit for it. But um, I heard a song once in the lyrics where if it takes five people to come to Jesus, maybe you're not the fifth person that talks about them, but maybe you're one, or maybe you're number two, or maybe you're number three, Or maybe you're number four. And see, it takes all five of those for that person to come to Jesus. So guess what? The first and the second and the third is just as important as the fourth and the fifth. And so when we sow, just like the parable of the sower, when we sow, we should sow plentifully. We should sow everywhere, everywhere we can, every chance we get. So the next step in, in, in the growth process right after sowing is watering. And so in my mind, what watering is, 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 you know, after you've planted that seed, they might come to you and they might have some questions about Jesus. And so it's really watering is, is answering those questions. It's maybe doing a Bible study. It's maybe inviting them to a concert. It's, you know, inviting them to a work day and getting, letting them get to know good Christian people. Inviting them to Wednesday night, and, and let's, let's dig deeper into the Bible. And the last step in that growing process is harvest, and that's when they accept Jesus Christ. And, and we all rejoice. You know, if, if, if someone comes to, to Christ and, and you're present when that happens, it's just, it's just an amazing thing, right? You can see the, their life change before your eyes. You can see all the things that are, are happening in their life. You know, there's tears of joy, there's, there's, there's tears of shedding the old life behind, and it's amazing. But there can't be any harvests without a planting. And what I want to talk today about is how we plant. So if you want to turn to First Corinthians 3, I want to read a, a little bit of what Paul wrote about that. And here in this, this portion, this is where Paul's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it, it's not the church of Apollos, it's not the church of Paul, it's the church of Christ, right? And he, so when he says, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed as Lord assigned to each? And what he's saying there is, you know, I'm nothing, I'm just the person who told you about Jesus. Apollo is just the person who told you about Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building, right? And so what, what this means to me is, you know, what I said before, God is gonna give the growth, but we as laborers in God's field Need to continue sowing, even when it's difficult. Because guess what? It will be difficult. And you may not see, you know, you may invite someone to church and they never come. You may tell someone about Jesus and as far as you know, they never make that commitment to Jesus Christ. But I don't want us to get discouraged. I don't want us to get discouraged if every seed that you plant does not turn into fruit. Because quite frankly, there's nothing we can do about that. Like I said, God's It's God's business to do the growth. All we can do is plant and then water. And sometimes we get the ability to harvest. And just because we're not seeing the fruit doesn't mean we're we're not planting enough we're not planting seeds enough. We may never see the fruit till we get to heaven. And so let me ask you something. When, when you look back on your own life and you look at the people that sewed onto your life, when you look at the people that brought you to Jesus Christ, do they know? Maybe some of them do. Maybe some of them don't. Maybe you think back to a Sunday school teacher you had in, in, you know, when you were in third grade. Or maybe you think about you know, your college roommate. Or maybe you think about your grandma, your grandpa. And maybe they're not in your life anymore. Right? And so just because you don't see the fruit doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep sowing. I'll give you a couple zam- examples, and I wish Melissa was here this morning. Because when VBS was going on this summer, all that kept just rushing into my head was we have no idea how much, fr- how much seed we're planting. You know, When we do something like, like a VBS and we bring all those kids and we tell them about Jesus Christ... You don't know if that person that, that was here just for a few days, that might be the one seed that grows into something. And they may become, you know, a famous pastor someday. They may go on to become a great humanitarian. You know, who knows? Who knows what God's going to do with that seed we plant? You know, and we didn't do VBS because we knew at, on Friday when, when we got to have uh, hot dogs that 100 people were going to come to Christ. We did VBS because we knew it would sow into this community. Same thing, we had Demac in here, right? We didn't do Demac because we like rap music and we thought it'd be cool. We did Demac because it might bring some people in who didn't know Jesus Christ. And we get to witness to them. And I will tell you, both the VBS and the Demac concert, I've heard many things in this community about, wow, that was really great. Wow, that really changed my mind about some things, right? And so there's probably some examples in your own life and, and if, if you look back kind of on how you came to Christ, you will remember some of the things that that caused you to do that, some of the people that sowed into your life. So I hope I've convinced you of the importance of sowing. I hope I've, I've convinced you that, that God wants us to sow and does not want us to sow sparingly. He wants us to sow abundantly. He wants us to sow every chance we get. So the question is, how do we do that? We've got some steps here. And so how do we sow? Well, the first thing we sow is we want to make sure we have good seed to sow. And the way we do that is we need to take care of ourselves. And so we continually need to grow closer to God. We continually need to live for God. And I will tell you this, if you're sowing seeds about how great Jesus is and what he's done in your life and you're not living it, your seeds aren't going to grow. It's not good seed. And so we've got to take care of ourselves health-wise. We've got to take care of ourselves spiritually. We've got to get into the Word. And And I always hesitate when I say this because everyone says, you know, you might not be able to tell this, but I know how to lose weight. I'm very good at it. I've done it 100 times. Also know how to gain weight. And so when someone asks, how do you lose weight? And the answer is, well, you have to burn more calories than you take in, right? And so you have to either diet or exercise or both. And when it's, how do I get to become closer to God? Well, you've got to get into God's word. And so painful as the both of them are, it's just the truth. There's no other way, right? There's no other way. And so for us to have good seed, we've got to be right. We've got to be right with God. We've got to spend that time growing up as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying if you're a new Christian, you shouldn't sow seed. You absolutely should, right? You absolutely should. But we also should not just sit back and be content with where we're at, right? I'm so glad God loves me so much he didn't keep me where I was, right? I, I grew up in church, right? I've been in church my entire life. And if I would have stayed where I was in third grade or fourth grade, you know, I, I'm just I'm just not the same person. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I give God all the glory for that. So the first thing we've got to do is just get into God's word, understand what God wants, understand God's mission. The second thing we have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to get in tune with that Holy Spirit because that's gonna be the nudge that tells us where the good soil is, right? We should sow everywhere we can, anytime we can, but God will give us direction, right? And the problem that I have, and I'm sure none of you have this problem, but the problem I have is I'm going 100 miles an hour all the time and I don't have time to listen. Right? And so if we would just take a step back and, and be in continual prayer and, and be looking for that, that voice from the Holy Spirit, right? When you walk into a when you walk into a room, ask God, is there anyone here I need to talk to? What do you need me to do here? You know, when you wake up in the morning, one of the first prayers need to be, you know, instead of praying, telling God your wish list like he's Santa Claus every morning, you know, here's what I want from you today one of the things I started doing was, God, what do you want me to do today? And so God will, you know, God's looking for a willing, willing servant, right? And so if you walk into a, a room or walk into a situation or, or just wake up every morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Guess what? He'll answer. And he'll give you people to go witness to. And I know probably the thought of that intimidates some people. It certainly intimidates me. And we were talking uh, yesterday. I'm it's really out of character for me to get up here. I'm an extreme introvert, extreme introvert. I, if I could never talk, I would be fine. But unfortunately, that's, you know, I don't get to do that at work. And, and then, now thanks to Dennis, I don't get to do that at church either. And so, um, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, when you witness to new people and, and when people come in and I said, well, when, when Jenny and I try new churches, if it starts at 10, we show up at 9.59 because then there's no opportunity to have to talk to anyone. They I show up 15 minutes early, there's lots of opportunity where people can come up and talk to you. And so, um, you know, that's, we kind of keep our eye out for the 959ers that come in because, you know, they may be people just like us. And so the idea of um, walking up to a stranger and talking about Jesus Christ terrifies me. To the point where sometimes when God says, hey, see that person over there? And I'm like, nope, I don't. Can't see a thing. Right, and so we've got to be fully turned over to the Holy Spirit. We've got to be fully given over to Jesus Christ and willing to do His will. Right? That, if we go back to that that verse, and you don't have to go back there, but Jesus said, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work." That should be our food, right? Jesus, that that in, you know, the more I read into this. Jesus isn't giving generic examples, right? As as I read through the Bible, I always think, oh, he's given us really good words of wisdom that we can put, you know, put in a quote and put on our wall at home, and that would be good. No, he's given us tips to how to live our life, right? And Jesus said, our food, he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Well, we're made in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We should be, our food should be to do the one of the will who sent them. The uh, the third thing we need to do, so good seeds, follow the Holy Spirit. The third thing we need to do is play to our strengths. So I, I don't know if anyone's ever taken a spiritual gifts test, and some of them are kind of corny and don't really work, but I, I firmly believe that God didn't create us all the same, right? Church unity does not mean church uniformity, right? If we were all like-minded, this would not be a very interesting church, right? And so... We all have different strengths and we all have different weaknesses. And so I don't believe God calls us to use our weakness for him. I believe he calls us to use our strength for him. In Romans 12, uh, 3 through 8, if you want to turn there very quickly, it says, "...for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned." For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so pay particular attention to this part. If your gift is in prophecy in proportion to our faith, if in service, in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, one who exhorts in his exhortation, one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, whatever you're good at, do it to the glory of God. And and I believe that that's how Jesus calls us to witness. And so if you find out that you're really passionate about serving other people, then use that gift of serving other people for the glory of God, to witness to people. Don't, don't do it in the background. Don't, you know, don't do it behind the scenes. Get out there and, and witness to God. Go, go help Jeff when he, when, he some, uh, when, he, when he needs some ice cream scooped or go, uh, you know, show up for a work day, right? But if your gift's in, in uh, compassion, then, you know, be there for people, pray for people, Put yourself into a place where you can share the love of God when people need it. Right? There's a ton of people out there. You've heard of the. There's a service out there where you can you can actually pay someone to hug you. Right? How sad of society that it that is that you know I've got to like call up a number and say hey could you come give me a hug right? If you're good at hugging, hug people. That's my that's my daughter's strength. Absolutely, my daughter's the best hugger in the world. Um, in fact, her her first word was hi. So, and of course. Being two extroverts, having a daughter that says hi in very, um, very loud levels makes going to Walmart excruciating. So, um, so, I mean, go find your strength. If you don't know what your strength is, guess what? You have, don't, say, don't sit out there and go, I don't have any strengths. It's not true. It's not true. God made every one of us with strengths. Go find out what your strength is. And, and you've got more than one, right? And guess what? Your strength, uh, you're, you're not here by accident. Because your strength is gonna complement someone else's weakness in this church, right? Not one of us is here by by accident and we all have a ministry. We just gotta figure out what that ministry is. So three things so far. Good seed to sow, Holy Spirit, play to your strengths, figure out what your strengths are, figure out how to use those. And the fourth one is sow abundantly. Just sow as much as you can, right? I've got this, uh, where I I used to park my camper, I've got this spot that's... uh, doesn't have any grass on it, right? The the camper's been sitting there and the sun, sun didn't hit it and all the grass died. And so, um, I've watered that and watered that and watered that and grass still won't grow. I've got to sow grass seed there if I want grass, right? And so we can water and we can just wait for the harvest and water and wait for the harvest and water and wait for the harvest. But if we aren't sowing, we're never going to get to a harvest. So sow abundantly. So here's some, here's some ideas, right? Just invite someone to church. That's, you know, on the, on the scale of, of hardest to easiest, it's easier to invite someone to church than to, like, you know, actually witness to them and tell them your story. Just invite them to church and, and let Dennis do the rest of the work, right? It's a cop out, it's easy. Maybe share a song with them right so there's there's tons of good songs today that have amazing messages and maybe you know maybe you find a song that's really dear to your heart and and maybe that person's not a Christian they don't listen to Christian music, but you say, "Hey, have you ever heard this song because I just really like it and and, and maybe that's the seed that gets them thinking right because you know some of those uh, you know depending on your your music genre you like, I really like actually hard rock type stuff. So thousand foot crutch is kind of cool for me. So if I've got some friends that like, and Jeff's over there waving at me. If I got some friends that, you know, like some hard rock stuff, I might play some Christian hard rock for them and just say, you know, and then all of a sudden they're singing along and they're singing about God and they don't even know it. And God uses that, right? If nothing else, pray for them, right? If you've got someone in your life that needs Jesus, pray for them. And the last thing I've got here is show them with your life, right? And it, Brother Dale said on Wednesday night, you may be the Bible, the only Bible some person sees, right? And if they can see, especially people who knew who you used to be, right, they can see the change in your life. And, and chances are, you'll get a conversation that goes something like, "Wow, uh, you're not the same as you used to be." And you can say, yeah, you want to know why? Um, and, and it's not because, you know, not because of anything else other than Jesus entered my heart. And, and Jesus, you know, I'm not living under this law that says I've got to be this way. I just love Jesus so much. I, I don't want to be the way I used to be. I don't want to do the things I used to do. And so we talked about good seed, Holy Spirit, our strengths. We need to sow abundantly. And it really boils down to do everything you can every time you can. Don't miss an opportunity. I've missed so many opportunities in my life. I really have. I'm I'm really not looking forward to the day when I die and enter heaven and God starts going down. Let's talk about the opportunities you missed, right? I really hope that it's more towards the good job, good and faithful servant, right? But I've missed so many opportunities. and, And some of them is because I'm too busy. And some of them, quite frankly, was just because I didn't want to. I didn't feel like it and those hurt the worst. When, you know, when I've, when I've said no to God, not out of busyness, not out of, um, just, I wasn't paying attention and I missed it. When I've, when Jesus has said, you need to go talk to that person. And I've said, I'm not going to do it. Those are the ones that hurt the most. So what's the takeaway here? So we are called to sow water and reap, right? You know, we talked about preparation of the soil. That's God's business. The growing is God's business, but we're, we're called to sow water and when we get an opportunity to reap. And in my opinion, sowing is the hardest work and it's got the least tangible reward. But I've always, back when, as most of you know, I was a pastor for several years, and I always used to say the pay is terrible, but the retirement plan's out of this world, right? And it's the same way with sewing, right? Sewing's hard work. And sewing in the natural world's hard work. It's dirty. It's grimy. But I know when I get to heaven, I'll be able to see all the people that I touched, and all the people that I sewed into, and it'll make it all worth it. Sowing is the task that eventually bears the most fruit. We're never, you're never going to grow tomatoes if you don't plant a seed. I don't care how much you water. I don't care how bad you want to harvest. If you're not sowing, you're not going to get a seed. How, no matter how much I water that spot where my camper was. And, and quite frankly, I can go out and pray for grass. You know, a lot of times we think that's the answer to everything. And it, believe me, I'm not trying to take anything away from prayer. But God didn't call us the hands and feet so we can get down on our, our knees and, and pray. He calls us the hands and feet because He expected us to do something, right? He, ex- he expected a call to action, He expected us to go, you know, be the people that, that move in this world and, and make a difference. So I've talked a lot about sowing today. And, and I, hope that it, I hope that it made you think. I mean, that's, that's really all I'm trying to do here is to make you think about, am I sowing? Am, really, am I really doing that? Or am I sitting back and, and letting someone else do that for me? Cause, and, and I usually say this to men because it usually gets them, but you are strategically placed. You're like a Navy SEAL, right? You're strategically placed to reach the people that only you can reach. There's, only, there's people that only you know. And there's people that God is wanting you to reach out to. And, and I, just, I just hope that maybe today that you think about what you can go do to, to sow a seed in their life. That being said, maybe there's some people here that are ready for the harvest. Right? I want to switch gears on us a little bit. And so I've been talking a lot about sowing and watering, but there may be someone here among us that are ready to, to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. And I praise God if that's the case. And, and so... If this is kind of new to you, let me kind of walk through this a little bit. So in my mind, there's four things that you have to do. One's admit you're a sinner. We can all do that, right? We can all admit that we're a sinner, even if you've accepted Jesus Christ. Accepting Jesus Christ doesn't take that away, right? It's not, I've accepted Jesus Christ and I no longer sin. I wish that was the case, but it's not the case. So the first step is to admit you're a sinner. We can all do that today. The second is to ask forgiveness and be willing to turn away from your sins. There's the difference, right? So if we ask for forgiveness, we admit we're a sinner, we say we've done some things wrong and we ask for forgiveness and we're saying we're, we want to repent from those sins because that's a, that's a big fancy church word and all it means is stop doing it and do something better. The third thing is to believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. And see, we talk about that a lot. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but what that means is he died on it for my sin and he died on it for your sin. It's not some, you know, generic, he died for someone's sins. He died for our sins. And so the last thing it is, you can do is receive Christ into your heart. So just admit you're a sinner, ask for forgiveness. Believe that Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, he was dying for your sins. The Bible says he died for all past and future sins. You know what? 100% of my sins were future when Jesus died on the cross. And guess what? The sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow and the next day, he died for them too. And he died for yours. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's a, here's a little prayer. If you want to, if everyone wants to bow their head, and you can say this out loud, you can say this in your heart. You can just repeat after me if you want. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I trust to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name I pray, amen.